Well, good morning. Uh, as David said, uh, we are in week two of our prayer series. Uh, we are enjoying this so far, I hope. Last week I had a, a fun time having that conversation. I got you all a little nervous because I said that God answers all of my prayers, and you were thinking, he doesn't answer all my prayers. And I said, no, if he does answer all your prayers, it just isn't always the answer you like. And so if you missed last week, that's what we talked about. The fact that God has heard every single one of the prayers you ever prayed uh, in your life. But the truth is, sometimes... Um, we get a no from God, or we don't get quite the answer we're looking for. And when there's a couple ways that he answers us. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's yes, but not like that. And sometimes it's yes, but not yet. And that there's a, sometimes a delay in what God has for us. And while we said we don't like the answer, no, the no is a very revealing answer for us because it tells us some things that may be true about our life, or maybe there's some things that God is doing that's different than what we would anticipate. And so it takes, as we said, great humility to come before the Lord and say, all right, I don't know if I have all the answers, so I'm going to trust you that you know what's best. And so uh, what we're going to talk about today really is what do you do when you feel like you get a no from God? If you're in your prayer life and, and God says no, we said there's a couple reasons why. So we want to help uh, unpack what that may be. What are some of the reasons perhaps that you received a no from the Lord? Because, excuse me, here's the crazy thing about it. You get to change the answer sometimes. See, God has given you the tools in his word and me the tools in his word that in prayer, if there's something we really, really believe in and really want to see happen in our life and God's saying no, he invites us back to the word to do some diagnostic work to figure out, can I change that no to a yes? Now, I don't know about you, but I'd like a lot of yeses in my prayer life. There's things in, that I see that I want God to do and, and, and I'm sure they're on God's heart, but I want to be able to get my life and my prayer life in a position where God would give me as many yeses as possible. So we're actually going to turn to the one uh, who gave us a little description on how to pray to him. You know, it's very interesting, actually. Jesus was teaching on prayer, um, and the disciples at this point were kind of unclear whether he was God. They thought he was God. They presumed him to be God, but they still had some of their doubts. So Jesus teaching on prayer uh, to a whole crowd of people, and then they go off afterwards, and Jesus um, is standing there. The disciples come up to him and said, okay, but teach us how to pray. Uh, which I find interesting that they would ask the one that they need to pray to how to do it. And so the answer he gives should be incredibly profound for us because he's basically telling us how to engage with him. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me uh, to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to see uh, how Jesus tells his disciples to turn the no into a yes. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what you have done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words." Now, Jesus basically says here, if you want to get a no to your prayer, if you want God to not answer your prayer, here are some things you need to do. Go be loud in front of everybody, be like the hypocrites, stand in the corner, and begin to proclaim it out there. I find this very interesting that Jesus, right off the bat, explains to them how you get a no. He says you get a no by the wrong motivations. You get a no because you want to pray something, not because you desire God to answer it, but because you want to be seen as spiritual in front of other people. I'm sure some of us, and probably most of us, have been in the prayer circle where that one individual is praying, and the whole time you're sitting there thinking, 
is this Shakespeare or a prayer? I don't, I don't quite know which one this is, right? Just this kind of flowery language over the top, and there can be an appearance of godliness there, but Jesus says, no, 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 that's not how you get a yes. How you get a yes starts by being in a posture of humility. You get a yes by going and being in secret, by declaring the things boldly before God and God alone. Now, he's not saying keep everything hidden from trusted prayer circles and accountability and the people that you're praying for. But what he is saying is that the reason we are seeking God is not so others look at us as spiritual, but because we are actually needy for the Father to come rescue us. And so there's a posture that he sets there. And he also says to not be like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Some of the other religions around at that time basically would recant these or recite these uh, incantations or these memorized phrases basically over and over and over and over again in an attempt to manipulate God. Well, he's saying, no, no, you don't need to manipulate me. You don't need to come and use many words. Why? And he says in verse 8 something very interesting. He says, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He says, there's no need to be loud and bold and for anybody to see your prayer life. There's no need to try to manipulate God into anything. Why? Because he already knows everything you could ever think you ever needed. Now, when I hear that, I ask the question, well, why am I even praying? (laughs) And maybe you felt that way too. Why bother praying? Well, here's the deal. Because we said prayer is more than a conversation. Praying to God is far more than just a conversation. In prayer, God is doing something and he's moving things. Sometimes the things he's moving are because of the words we've prayed, because uh, later on Jesus is going to say, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Basically, we have power through our prayer to change things. But also, in prayer, often God is moving things within us. He's shaping us. He's moving us. And so uh, while God already knows, it gives us this great confidence then that we can approach him and don't have to impress him for him to hear us. And he goes on to give us an example of how we should pray. And whether you have been around church your entire life or not, you are familiar with these passages most likely. So let's take a look at them. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, how many of you could say you could probably quote that by memory? Uh, you, maybe even you often quote it by memory at, at night. So what Jesus is doing here is not telling them the exact script that they need to uh, replay. He's giving them for them a template of what needs to be key and fundamental in all of our prayer life, and he starts off by basically saying, declaring, um, I'm praying to the one who's above me. And I mentioned that last week, that if we don't see God as smarter, smarter than us, more intelligent than us, and more sovereign than us, then there's no point in praying. Because if God's equal with me, why waste my breath? So it's a pause that says, you're up there, not me. You're holy. You're right, not me. So it starts with a posture And then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He essentially says, we need to enter into the prayer room, understanding that what we're trying to seek in prayer is the way of heaven coming down to earth, that the way heaven operates would come and meet us here. Now that sounds fun. I mean, who wouldn't want perfect peace invading their life? Who wouldn't want that? But it may mean something that we don't want it to mean. 
it may mean that there's some things in our life that are going to have to change. You see, because the way of Jesus is pure and right and holy. And there's not sin in there. And so when we pray the prayer, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what that means is, God, would you come invade the spaces that maybe I've tried to hide, invade the will that I've tried to keep my own. And it leaves us with a question, do we really want God's will for our life? Or do you want God to bless your will for your life? Do we really truly sit in a posture of humility before the Lord and say, you know what, God, whatever you see fit, I'm in. I'm going to be honest with you. That's a terrifying prayer to pray because <laughs> I've prayed it and I've watched God do things that I didn't necessarily want him to do. But the opposite side of that is here's my will. I think I know what's best. God, would you bless that? You see, the, the process of prayer is far more about aligning ourselves with God than aligning God with our desires. Gordon McDonald says it this way. He says, the fact, that, the fact is that my prayer life cannot be directly tied to the results I expect or demand. And what he's basically saying is, I can pray, but at the end of the day, it's not me who makes that decision, it's God. I have had many opportunities by now to see that the things I want God to do in response to my prayers can be unhealthy for me. We mentioned that last week. Next slide. I have begun to see that worship and intercession or prayer uh, requests are far more the business of aligning myself with God's purposes than asking him to align with he says, basically, I realize that what I'm doing in prayer, my time with the Lord, is not trying to get heaven to come do what I want, but understanding what heaven wants and getting myself to do what God desires. God, I don't know what to do in this situation. This person's really frustrating me, and I wish that you would just smack him upside the head, right? What is that? <laughs> trying to get God to align with my will, rather than, God, I don't understand what, what's going on here? I know you love this person. Would you shape my heart to love them in a way that you would call me to love? You, you see the difference in those prayers? Now, I'll be honest. I'll pray both of those at the same time sometimes. All right? God's, God's big enough. He can handle that. He knows what's in my heart. I don't have to lie to him. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to use pretty words. But it's a pause that says, I understand that the real power is in bringing heaven to earth. You see, powerful prayers pray God's will. If you want the prayers that you pray to make a difference in this world, to make a difference in your life and the lives of people around you, we simply have to pray God's will. And it's actually really interesting because in 1 John, what we see is something very cool about doing this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is confidence we have in approaching God. Uh, do, you, do you hear that phrase there? Confidence. <laughs> That we don't have to wonder in and whisper or worry, like I said last week, if you feel like an unknown number to God. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So if we begin to understand what the will of the Lord is, and we pray according to that, whatever we ask, we have. Well, the trick is then, how do you understand God's will for your life? How do you understand God's will? Well, there's things that are very clearly laid out in Scripture that we would love people, that people would come to know Jesus, that we would make more and better disciples, um, that we would live in a community, that we would walk in open confession and repentance. There's a bunch of things uh, that are very clear to us what the will of God is. And so if you're praying for somebody to get saved, you're pretty safe to assume that's God's will. Now, that may not be God's timing, uh, but the Lord knows. And so we're going to pray boldly in those and just trust that 
If it's according to his will, it'll happen. But sometimes there's things in life that aren't so clear. Sometimes you're stuck between two decisions, and it's just hard to tell uh, which one is the way that God would go, which is actually the will of God. And so you, you're going to go back to the Word, see what it says there. You're going to go back to God's character, which is why it's so important that we spend time in the Word, and we're going to talk about how the Word relates to our prayer life next week. But you soak in the Word and understand who God is and what He's done in the past and relay this decision to how He's uh, operated in the past. But, but then you just kind of have to come to this place where you, we decide to presume a little bit on God's character. Uh, Alexander the Great, uh, there's a story about him where basically uh, he was in his throne room or whatever one day, and one of his generals who had been with him for a very long time came up to him and said, "Um, my daughter's getting married, but I can't afford to pay for it. Would you uh, pay for my daughter's wedding? And he said, well, sure, you've you've been very faithful, a great um, general for me. Absolutely, I'll pay for it. So a couple days go by, and the treasurer comes in and says, hey, you sent the general to me to pay for this wedding, but he's extorting you. You have no idea what he's going to ask for this wedding. And he said, no, I just said, go have the treasurer give you money. He said, he's asking for an exorbitant amount of money, enough to make the biggest wedding the empire has ever seen. Are you going to stop him? <laughs> and Alexander the Great says, no, give him the money. And then he says this, my general pays me two compliments. He believes that I am rich enough to afford his requests and that I am generous enough to grant it. In assuming these two things, he honors me. And I read this story, I thought, what if we began to presume upon God's generosity and kindness in our prayer life? That we began to walk into the throne room of heaven, which is far greater than Alexander the Great, and just said, I want the biggest, baddest blessing you got, God. I'm going to presume upon your kindness. And so uh, that's where the power in prayer comes, is that you have a God who has infinite resources at his disposal, and his will is not limited to small increments, that God, if we begin to ask him, may do the biggest thing you've ever seen in your life, but we just haven't asked him. We just haven't come with confidence that, God, I know this is your will to see lost people come. Would you save 100 people this year? What would happen if a church, God's church, just spent hours knocking on heaven's door, saying, God, I know that you're generous. Would you do this? The second half of the Lord's Prayer kind of turns a little bit from praying God's will to understanding something a little different because he's going to go on in the rest of the Lord's Prayer, as we read, we're going to read through it again, to reveal that it's not just the words we say, but it's the life we live. Let's look back at Matthew here real quick. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. He says this, give us today our daily bread. Now, why does Jesus ask them or tell them to pray this? Because he wants them to be set free from greed and gluttony. That they would, in daily dependence, know that God has everything they need and they wouldn't seek for more. They wouldn't look for greed or gluttony. So he's working against some things in their flesh through this prayer. Then he says this, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. He says, if you want to have a powerful prayer life, you have to deal with the unforgiveness in your heart. Jesus says, we're not going to read them, but you can read them for yourselves later in verses 14 and 15. Basically, if you're not forgiving somebody in your life, God's not forgiving you. He hitches the power of our prayer to the forgiveness that we're walking in. Now, that's terrifying because relational brokenness is all around us. And so maybe the reason we've been getting a no is because there's some unforgiveness in our heart. Maybe the reasons our prayers don't seem so powerful is because there's something blocking us from getting the yes from God. 
and 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He says, pray that whatever vice seems to have your calling card, that God would protect you from it and you would walk away from it. Because sometimes we get no from God because there's sin in our life. See, it's interesting to me as I read through this that most of this passage is telling us what gets in the way of getting God's yes. It's not that God doesn't want to give the yes. It's that there's some things when we come before a holy God that are very, very important. See, Powerful prayers not only pray God's will, but they obey God's will, which is our our second point. You see, we can't divorce our actual lives from our prayer lives. We can't live however we want and then go knock on heaven's door and demand all of the blessings because our life is not detached from the things that we seek the Lord for. Mark chapter 11 puts it this way. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Jesus says this three or four times throughout the Gospels. I think he means business. <laughs> and so maybe the no is there, like I said, because of some need for, un- for some forgiveness. Psalm 66 verse 18 says this. If I had not confessed sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. See, God isn't just interested in giving you blessings. He's interested in shaping your character. And sometimes a no from the Lord is the most generous thing we can hear because it would cause us to pause. Okay, God, what's in here? Have I done this in front of people so they think I'm spiritual? Have I been hiding something, some sin in my heart that might be coming in like gangrene that I'm not dealing with? God, is there some relational brokenness in here? In another part of Matthew, Jesus basically says, if you come to worship the Lord and you know a brother has an offense with you, leave your gift at the altar, go make it right, and then come back. Because we cannot divorce our vertical relationship with the Lord from our horizontal relationship with people. God loves us too much to let us pretend to be something that we're not. And so the word of God would say, hey, if you want yes, it's simple. Walk in obedience to the Lord. But here's the thing. You and I are not perfect. (laughs) We're not. And so uh, what Psalms is not saying is that God doesn't hear a sinner. What it's saying is that God hears repentance from a sinner before he gets a yes for the blessing. That if I come before the Lord, we need to examine our heart and say, all right, God, is there anything in here? Because I don't want something to get in the way of getting a yes from you. If there's sin, Lord, let me deal with it. And First John tells us that he is faithful and just to forgive those who would repent. And so on the other side of repentance and confession is a throne room greater than Alexander the Great. Is the God of heaven and earth ready and willing to give you a yes to the greatest blessings you've ever seen in your life? We're going to watch a testimony video here. It's, it's a little bit of a longer video uh, of a couple in the Bridgewater community who, who were able to see the power of prayer show up in their life in a way that I hope and pray inspires us to pray big, bold prayers. Let's watch. So January 3rd, 2021 started off as basically a normal Sunday. I was kind of winding down the day, getting the kids ready for bed, and uh, and that's when I heard my wife from the bathroom say, Brian, my water just broke. She was 38 weeks pregnant, so we knew, you know, it could be at any point in time. And so we took off down the interstate towards Wilkes-Barre to the hospital. At that point in time, that was my biggest concern was whether or not we'd make it to the hospital. So once we got to the hospital, um, Brian and I had been discussing baby names like <laughs> all night long. And at that point, like he's like, I really need to take a shower. So um, 
I was like, all right, you go take a shower, but don't forget to think about baby names. So he's like, I will. As I was coming out, I heard the voices in the room kind of change. And uh, they, ch they changed tones to where I could tell, like, something's going on that's not quite right. Finally, the doctor came in and she said, the baby's heart rate has dropped. We need to do an emergency C-section. And I said, okay, you know, whatever you need to do. And they took her, they wheeled her into the operating room. And uh, I, of course, at that point in time, I had to stay in the room. It was a few minutes later and I heard on, you know, the hospital loudspeaker, they started shouting out, code blue, code blue. And, um, and then it was just like a rush of nurses and doctors going in. And I didn't really find out anything for probably about 45 minutes before Lainey's doctor had come in to give me the report to say that Lainey was okay. The surgery went well and they got the baby out. And um, I remember asking, I said, I heard a baby crying um, shortly after you took her into the operating room. Was that my son? And uh, she said to me, no. Um, your son didn't make any noise. His body was very limp. That's all she could tell me. The nurse came in and said, your wife's coming out. You can meet her in the hallway and go towards the, the recovery room. And uh, this doctor came to give a report. He said, your son um, was born without a heartbeat and he wasn't breathing. And he and the other neonatologist had worked for over 15 minutes to be able to resuscitate him. And, um, and at that point, there was this mix of emotion of on one hand thinking like relief that my son was alive at that point. And, and on the other hand, recognizing that this was still a very critical situation. He told me that he's, he needs to be life-flighted to Danville Children's Hospital. And then he went into, they have to put him on this special treatment to preserve his brain. It won't reverse brain damage, but it will prevent further brain damage from happening. The first thing I remember hearing was, ma'am, your son is alive. I didn't know, you know, really what that meant. And so um, my first question was, is he going to live? And Brian said, we don't know. So at that point, I felt like this intense feeling of like just wanting to panic. But at the same time, I felt like the Lord just gave me such a, a calmness and a, a strength in that moment. Just his presence was so near. You know, we went to the recovery room and you know, we waited to find out more. They said that, that they were going to bring Silas to us so that we could, uh, we could see him before he took off in the helicopter. They finally brought him in in this little box uh, with all kinds of tubes and cords and stuff attached to him. And, you know, I was so grateful to see him at that point. Um, we saw him for about 30 seconds before they just said, we need to go now. Um, like, we gotta, we gotta get him to, that, to his care in Danville. They came and they, uh, they, they got Lainey ready and she went in the ambulance. And then uh, I followed behind in our car. I, I guess I can easily pray kind of more reserved or, or almost giving God a way out. Like, God, if it's your will, would you do this or that? Or God, um, you know what's best and I trust you, but if you, if this is what I want, please do this, you know? But, but in that moment, um, in that drive, my prayers were different. It was maybe even came across as demanding, um, but it was like God wanted me to pray that way, where it was like, God, you need to save my son. You need to heal him. You need to make sure that he stays alive. And um, just praying in a way that was bolder than I think I'd ever prayed before. It was from this point of just complete surrender 
um, saying, God, you can do something. I can't, so do something. We had reached out to, to just ask people to pray for us. And then the texts and, and stuff started coming in, just people telling us, hey, we're praying for you. And uh, it really did make a difference, I think, for us. And just knowing that we weren't alone in this, um, like God was there, but also, man, there was there was an army of people behind us that were uh, that were praying for us and for our situation and for our little boy. I felt like with so many people praying for us that I felt like there was like two teams. I felt like there was the doctor team and the nurses team that was working on Silas, and I felt like there was a prayer team that was praying for Silas, and I felt like they were both working together for this little baby. So when I got to Danville, I was um, checked into my room, and they told us that we could go see Silas. Um, he was on like full support oxygen, but even at that point, um, it wasn't enough, and his oxygen levels weren't where they needed to be. And um, the doctor was explaining to me that you know his kidneys weren't working, his his liver wasn't working correctly. There was all these organs that like weren't working because it just they just couldn't get enough oxygen. And I remember looking up at the monitor and seeing like yeah, it's not enough. It should be at like 99 or 100, and it was at like 79. People asked, how can we pray? I said, just pray that his oxygen levels would increase. That night, we prayed. We were texting people just to let them know, you know. And uh, the next morning, uh, it was pretty early in the morning that we went and uh, went to go see him. And uh, I was able to go look and see the monitor and see the oxygen level that we had prayed for and to see it up at like 100%. And um, to visually see an answered prayer right before my eyes, it was like every time we showed up at the NICU, something had improved, or or they had weaned him more off something. You know, it was just like it was incredible to have a front row view of of answered prayers, um, knowing that there was thousands of people praying for him, thousands of people. So after seven days, they did an MRI and um, they came back completely normal. They were shocked that there was nothing that they could see. At first, I mean, I don't know that we knew how to process that information, um, but we got up and we just started hugging them and celebrating and, uh, you know, like, um, they just kept saying, it's a miracle. And uh, like, yeah, it was a miracle. <laughs> and uh, for everything that he went through, you know, those like 15, 16 minutes without oxygen, and uh, for him to come out with his brain clear and this little healthy boy is just like, uh, you can't, we can't put words to it. It's, it. it's God answering prayer after prayer and doing miracle after miracle. In previous trials, I haven't um, experienced God's presence so closely to me because I have resisted him or um, been even angry sometimes feeling that he's maybe apathetic or um, just didn't care about me as much. The Lord has been taking me on a journey of teaching me just how much He loves me and cares for me. And so when this happened, I just completely leaned into Him and believed that He was good, no matter the outcome, that He was going to be good. And um, that was just such a huge encouragement to me and it helped me um, get through those days. Well, the reality is that, you know, not all stories have a happy ending. I guess the choice is to lean into his presence, um, to continue to pray, to continue to just trust him, knowing that the outcome may or may not be the way that we want it to be. But yet at the end of the day, he's faithful and he is good.
We know that from the Word of God and, and you look at the examples in Scripture that not all their stories turned out great. And yet God was faithful through it all and God was good through it all. Amen. What an incredible story. I don't know if there's any way you can follow that up other than by inviting you to come pray. There's some mountains that need to be moved in people's lives. There's some mountains that need to be moved in our nation. There's some mountains that need to be moved in our community. And, and that's why we want to invite you to, to come pray with us next week, to sign up at the Welcome Center, because um, we believe in a God who does those kind of things and more. Um, would you join us next week as we pray?